You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast with your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Today, we chat with Tyron Lydiard, who shares his unique story, paving a path in cricket and in education. The combination of culture, cricket and community is Tyron's passion and true calling, providing a grounded perspective in life. A proud Beeropai man, Tyron wants to make a positive difference to the next generation through his efforts on and off the field. Tyron's ongoing commitment to his cricket has again reaped reward, this week being selected to represent the New South Wales Second Eleven. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Tyron, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks, brother. Um, it's, it's an honour to be here to have a chat to you. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's very good to be here. Tyron, in the 2018-19 cricket season, you guided the Penrith Cricket Club to their first first grade premiership in 36 years with a score of 97 against Sydney University. What was that feeling like for you to, to guide your hometown team to that coveted premiership? Yeah, it feels like a long time ago now, actually, um, when you say that, but it, it actually was. It was only a couple of years ago, but yeah, what an amazing year. Um, it would probably be one of my favourite years of, of grade cricket. Um, I think I'll ever play just because of the timing of it all. I think it was my first year um, of a full season in first grade. Um, I played a couple of games the year before. Um, and I, I just remember coming into that team the, when I first come in, uh, it was quite low. They, had a, they didn't have a very good year that year. I think that was the 2017-18 season. They didn't have a very good year. And when I come in, the, the, I guess the morale was a little bit low. Um, we won the first couple of games and then the, the next year, we, everything just kicked. And that was, as I said, my first full year of first grade. My first game of that year, um, we versed Hawkesbury and Pat Cummins played. Um, so it was one of my early games of first grade and playing Paddy Cummins. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Um, and I remember walking out and at that point, obviously no one knew who I was. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still obviously not a huge player, but um, like at that point, like I was still using like gear I'd had for a couple of years. I, I wasn't with JP Gavin yet. Love JP Gavin. He's helped me out a lot over the last couple of years now. But at that point, I didn't have a sponsorship or anything. So I had some really dodgy keeping gear. Uh, and I remember Paddy saying, all right, you get five catches, uh, five dismissals today, I'm going to buy a brand new kit. Like, I'm going to get everything for you. And I was like, I've never met the bloke before. Like, this man is a legend. Like, how good. And first ball, I got a catch off him down the leg side um, of the of the day. And we rolled him for 48 off 15 overs. I only got four. So I was really sad about that. I only needed one more. Um, but just from from that first game, and we, we smashed Hawtree. Obviously, it helps with Pat Cummins playing. But just from that first game, I just had a feeling that um, it could have been our year. We played some really good teams that year. We versed Ramwick Petersham, who had David Warner, because obviously we had the saga happen. Um, and we versed Sutherland with Steve Smith, Dorsha's play. Like, they had a really good team. And they're two games that I just think on top of my head where I just don't know how, but somehow we won. Um, we didn't have, like, the an all-star team or anything. We just had pretty much 11 Penrith locals. Um, we had Gibbo and Hackers, who were our state players. But, yeah, we just had a, 11 boys who grew up in Penrith um, and Henry Rails, who is a Dubbo local, but come down to, to play for us um, in his first year of grade two. It, everything just clicked. Um, we played as a team. Um, I talk about that, that fighting spirit where our attitude was, was, so, was so good where every week someone else would, would do the job. 
Um, for example, against Sutherland, I, I, I got 90-odd when we were, we were five, for, 5 for 60, and that was when it was about six. And then the next game, we'd, we'd get rolled, but then Gibbo would have scored 100. So, like, every game, or Hackers or Squirt, someone did, did the job every game. And then we got somehow, we, we finished in second place in what was a pretty strong grade year for the club. Like, a lot of clubs we played were very strong. We versed Marini Peets in the last game before the finals, and that was probably the biggest game because... You know, one day, because if we won that, we go to second. If we lost, we come, we come fifth. And I'll tell you why in a minute, why that's so important. But I remember that game that had David Warner and he hit 130 at Coogee, which is a small ground, but like he just whacked them that day. And Gibbo scored 100, Hackers got 70, Squirt got 70. Um, I got a quick 20 at the end. But it's, again, I, I, I just can't express how important it was. Like, during that year, everyone stood up which is, I think, winning formula to winning a, a title is the fact that every single person is, is carrying a bit of weight, um, which is so important. It's not just one superstar. Everyone is, is doing their role, um, which is why I think we did so well. And that game, we won. Don't know how, but we won. We got 350 or something, and we got Warner out in the 35 over, and they just collapsed. But um, we come second. And the reason why it was so important is because the first game was completely rained out against Parramatta. Um, so we got really lucky there. And how it works is if you're in the top three or top four in the first round, obviously you go to the semis because if it's rained out. Um, so I got rained out. And then the second game was against North Sydney in the semifinal. Um, and the first day it got rained out. They weren't happy about that, but it got rained out because the wicket wasn't, I guess, ready to go just because the amount of rain we've had um, at Howell Oval. And then the second day we, we played, they batted first. They got Justin uh, Abadano scored 100. I think they got 250 and then we just blocked them out. I batted with Gibbo for about two hours in the afternoon. I was very nervous. As I said, like my first year of first grade, um, my full year, still very young. Uh, I was thinking I just turned 20 and yeah, I just blocked it out. Gibbo was awesome for me. Obviously, like it helped me playing with experience um, from a young age. He helped me a lot. Um, then we got through the final. When the final happened, it was, I'll, I'll never forget it. So it was a Sunday against North Sydney um, to make the final win one. Obviously, I was, I was on a high um, and I rang my mum and I said, mum, like, we've just obviously made the final. We're going to, like, stay at Howl and, like, I'll have a couple of drinks and celebrate. And mum's like, oh, no, I'd rather you come home. And I was like, oh, it'll be okay. Like, and my mum's, like, really chill. She's, like, she's awesome, very supportive, lets me, like, go on at, like, that occasion. She's like, yeah, 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 go have fun. She's like, no, no, you need to come home. I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't know what's going on here. Um, so I was like, oh, sorry, boys, I've got to go home. Um, and on the way home, I just felt sick. Like, I was just like, oh, something, like, I felt like something bad had happened. Um, anyway, I got home, my whole family was there, my dad was crying, I was like, oh no, this is not good, because my dad never cries, he's not a crier, uh, he probably hates me saying that, but he was crying, um, and my pop was there, and my pop took me into the room, and I was like, so confused, and pop said, oh look, I've got cancer, the doctors can't, like, I can't get rid of it, doctors, like, they can't tell me how long I've got to live, like, we're not sure, um, and he's still battling on too, by the way, he's still alive, but at that point, I thought it was the end of the world, I didn't know what was going to happen, and I just broke down, um, just because I'm very family orientated, my family is everything to me. And like to hear that he was um, like got cancer and we don't know how long he's gonna live. Like I, I nearly fainted. I was a mess. Um, everyone was a mess. Everyone was crying. Um, it was awful. And I was like three years later, he's still kicking. So he's just like that, that older generation. He's just amazing how he's still kicking. But yeah, the time was the end of the world. I remember going to training on the I think it was on the on the Tuesday. I told them um, and I said I've got to tell the boys just because he's he's almost like the team mascot that year. And it was one of those years where, as I said, it was amazing because everyone's so close. Um, like we're just, well, like a family and you spend so much time together you're six months together playing cricket every Saturday so you're like a family and yeah and Pop always comes down to cricket so everyone knows who he is um, and I just yeah went to training at the end of the session I just broke down and just told them what, what had happened 
and every single person in that group was crying, even the coach. Like everyone was was crying, and it was like it sort of it was weird. Like I was obviously to that point, I was a mess, but it sort of helped me a bit because um, it made me realise like how close we were as a team, and I guess how much of an impact he's made on people's life. It was just like I know it was obviously sad, but it was actually one of the probably better, like one of the most amazing experiences I've had, just because it, I, I saw how much people cared. Um, not only about me, but my pop as well. And everyone was crying. And I don't know, from that moment, I just felt like it was just, it was going to happen. So yeah, to the to the first grade final uh, against Sydney Uni, we lost to them four times already in the year, in 2020s, one day. We got we lost outright to them in two-day cricket. Um, so we knew it was going to be a tricky game. Bomber lost a toss and they they had a bat. Because um, in a lot of the time in semi-final cricket, if you, if you bat the whole time, you win. So I think they might have been thinking, oh, we'll just bat for a long time. We'll score 450 of two days and then they can bat for a day and it's not going to happen. So we bowled really, really well. We bowled them out for 217. Um, that was our turn to bat. And again, like I come back first year of first grade. I don't know if I was, I guess, a little bit like, like I, I still feel like I don't have fear, but I just did not have any fear. Like I was just didn't care. I look back now in that situation, like I I'm, don't know how I did it to be honest, but um, yeah, we were, so I was batting six. We got off to a decent start. But yeah, Gibbo and, and Brent Williams were batting. I think we were, we were four for not many. We were four for probably 60. Three for 60, sorry. Um, and I was in next, needing 200. And Gibbo, and to be fair, their bowling attack was so strong. Like they had Kershaw, who was just bowling Thunderbolts at that time. Um, and he knocked Gibbo's stumps out of the ground. They did four cartwheels, these stumps. I'm not even joking. I was in next. And I was like, wow, okay, here we go. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I walked out at this point. We were, we were four for 60 then. And you could just sense within the team like nerves. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I was so nervous. But as soon as I walked out to that field, it was, like a, it was like a click. I don't know. It was like, I feel like because I had control over, I had a little bit of control over what was happening. I just wasn't as nervous. Um, and I just went out there and I just played with no fear, watched the ball hard, just played my shots, played off instinct. Like I didn't think about anything. And I guess it just happened. But... I look back, I'm sort of happy I was out there and not on the bench because I feel like I just would have been so nervous because we just kept losing wickets. It was four for 60, five for 70, six for 100. And I'm like, oh, God, we need four, we need 100 runs here um, with like a young tail. Like I was like, I don't know how we're going to get there. But um, yeah, somehow we just, we just, I guess every run just, just kept ticking it over. Um, Henry Rowles and I had a little bit of a partnership. And then that's what it was like. The emotion was like, by the end of the day, I remember going to, to bed and my heart was just like racing because I think just the emotion just got to me by the end of the day because I'd start a partnership with someone and it would feel like, right, okay, we're going we're gonna to get this, we're going to get the score. And then we'd lose a wicket. Then I was like, right, okay, I'm nervous again. We're seven down, it's like 150. And then we get another partnership of 30. I'm like, beautiful, we're going to need 20 away. We're going we're gonna to get there. And then every time I thought that, like I felt comfortable again and I'd start playing shots again, we'd lose another wicket. So I'm like, right, okay, now I've got to be careful again. Um, it was just, it was an emotional roller coaster. And then, Bomber, Bomber was in, he batted 10. We got it down to four runs to win. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, we're, we're, we're going to get there. And then he nicks off. And then nine, we're nine down and he goes, apps. Like, the, the, the whole Sydney Uni team went ballistic. They, I think they thought they might have won it. Um, then Ryan Fletcher come in. I think I was on about 60 at this point. I was feeling really good. No chances. Like, I was feeling really good. And it was one of those times, it was weird for me, like, the timing of it because I'd scored three 90s before Christmas. Then after Christmas, I hadn't scored a run until this grand final. I would have been on 60 on Fletch come in. And I won't lie to you, I was very, very nervous. Like, I thought, oh, no, here we go. Um, all this hard work for nothing. And then I walked, I walked like, to see him and I could tell he was really, really nervous. 
And I don't know how I did it, but like, especially with my experience, but I sort of just like flicked a switch again, went to another level where I sort of played almost a dad role where I just wanted to make sure that he was super calm. So I knew if he was nervous, like he would have done something silly as a tail and he not bowls alike. He would have done something silly um, and got out. So I just pretended I wasn't nervous and really I was, I was so nervous. I was like shaking. And um, I was like, it's all right, brother. Like we got this. We need four, we're four away. We're four away here. That's what I said to him. And I like I pretty much walked to the fence with him. And like he was, oh, sorry, it was drinks break. That's right. It was drinks break. And I was just talking like, we're going to get this. We're going to be right. Like it's going to be all good. Um, and he was on strike. There's still one more ball to go in the over. We walked out and he like, and he's been my best, like, one of my best mates since I was 10. And like, he's quite up and going sort of person, but he was very quiet. Like he didn't say anything. He was, you could tell he was nervous. And I was just hyping him. I'm like, it's going to be all good, brother. We're going to get this. Like what a moment. I've been knowing since we were 10. We can get the boys home here in a first grade final. And he was another kid where he didn't play Green Shield. Like he never played any rep cricket and then just got it, worked hard, got the first grade. Anyway, he had one ball to face and off like he was bowling fast. I think it was Kershaw was bowling quick at the time. And it sounds silly to say, but Fletcher did the best, like Fletcher did the best leave I've ever seen. Like he just left it. Um, last boy outside on stuff. And I just hopped him. I was like, he six. Like I was just so happy for him. Yes, let's go. Anyway, yeah. So then I was on strike. And I'm not going to lie, I was nervous. And again, not much experience. Mentally, I was thinking about a lot of things. Um, I was very like, composed. And as I said, every ball that innings, I used to say, before the ball was bowled, I'd say, do it for pop, do it for pop. Every ball, I'd say, like, we're going to do this for pop, for pop today. And I feel like a lot of the boys were like that. Like, we did that as a team. Like, we're going to do it for pop. Just He was there. Um, like, I want to see I want to see him get us over the line. Like, I'm going to do it for pop. And I feel like that little bit of extra motivation helped me a lot. Especially in, like as an in innings like that, probably the most emotional innings I've ever played in my life. Like a lot of the grabs, like a Belvedere, 20 years old, um, like first year of first grade. Like the fact that I could potentially do something special like this, like I feel like it, it could potentially be a one in a lifetime opportunity. Like it's very hard to make a Belvedere final. Um, and we sort of just got there. I don't know how we got there, but we sort of just worked and toiled all year just to get to this moment. 30 or 36 years, as you said, Joan, before we last time we won one. And yeah, I just remember like blocking it. I think, do I go for the big shot? Like, do I trust him? I was like, I'm just going to back him to, to, to get the job done with me. Anyway, so I got a two and the boys went wild, like absolutely listening. I hit one through cover, which is probably the only one of the only shots I can play. Um, I got two runs. So I needed two to win. Well, not two to win, but two to take over their score um, and one to tie. But if you get a, a draw, they win because they come first. So we couldn't get out on even score. Um, so we needed two to win. And there's one ball in the over. And I'm thinking in my head, right, I, I trust Fletch like at the other end. Still need two to win. I trust Fletch to get the job done. Anyway, I don't know what was going through my head. Just 20-year-old, young, think I can, I can do whatever I want. Anyway, I hit my straight back to mid-on, off, who's really close on the square, which was Tayden Kerr, um, who's doing quite well for the season at the moment. I hit straight to him. I don't know why I did it, but I called yes. I screamed out yes, just because I want to get back on strike. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. As I said, like the pressure just got to me, I'll be honest. And... Um, I screamed out yes, and the whole crowd just went silent. Um, and I feel like I'm quite quick, but I don't think I've ever run so fast in my life. And I literally just come down to Fletcher and said, all right, I won't do anything silly here. Like, it felt like Parker, you don't do anything silly, but then you slog the next ball. Anyway, so I said, I don't do anything silly. And I still remember him looking at me, and his eyes are like he's seen a shark. Like, his eyes are lit up because he's thinking, oh, no, here we go, I'm just lost. And I've just sprinted, and I, when I called yes, I screamed yes. Like, I was very passionate about it. And I, I don't know if I was trying to put him off or what I was doing, but anyway. Fortunate enough for me, Hayden Curry fumbled the ball like four times and I got home. And when I got home, the crowd went, like, the boys just went silly. Um, there was no run there. I could have barbecued myself, but it was just funny to see Fletcher's eyes. Like, it lit up. He's like, what are you doing? Um, and we took a quick single. 
And I come back and he goes, he goes to me in the middle and goes, so what was that about? Like taking it easy. And I'm like, sorry, mate, I just, I need to get back on strike. Um, and I don't know, it was a weird feeling like from that moment, I felt like I had all control over the situation um, and couldn't lose from there. Uh, and the next ball, Lee bowls a short ball outside off stump, which is my specialty for the cut shot. And I played like a, a late cut, the third man, I went for four and we won. Uh, or we'd won from first innings. We still had a day to play, but I thought like, they're not going to win from here. And I just went ballistic. I started crying um, just because of me pop. Um, I thought, wow, like it was just uh, the, the emotional roller coaster of the whole situation. Um, no one would have thought that I, I could have done that, not even myself, to be honest. Um, but to actually get over the line in, in that game and win a Belvedere and get man of the match, um, second youngest, oh, I think I was, to, to get it at that time, was just like something that something you dream of as a kid. Um, and for it to actually happen is like, as I said, at the start of the year, if you told me that was going to happen, like that year, that season, I wouldn't have believed you. But the fact that I was able to, I guess, find that extra determination, a bit of fight, um, I guess have pop in the back of my head, like doing that every board to help me concentrate um, and to get home was unbelievable. And then Fletcher like that for the rest of the day. Um, then I got out for the 97 in the second over um, the next day. I think Kershaw set me up a beauty. Bowled two half follies outside off. That was slow. And I was like, oh, beautiful. Here we go. I got to, because I was 90 at the end of the day, hit a couple, hit a four and a two and a one. And then the third ball he bowled was 15 kilometers quicker, hit me on the foot. I got out LBW. But more importantly, we won the Bell. And I hadn't scored 100 at that point. Um, but more importantly, we won the Belvedere. And I personally think of my, no matter what happens in my career, I think that would be probably one of my favorite moments of cricket. And it's, a reason, like, it's why we play. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of the, the, the Belvedere year. I actually haven't, thought about it for a while. It gives me goosebumps talking about it, to be honest, but uh, it's an experience that I'll, I'll never forget. Tyron, what is it about your pop? You speak about the, the clarity and the confidence you seem to give you. And, and the rest of the team, it was quite an emotional week for you. What is it about your pop as a person, do you think, that really made it so powerful for everyone? What, what values does he live that, that are so, uh, so contagious for everyone else? He's an amazing man, Pop. He, um, he's very, he's religious. He's a pastor. Um, so obviously his morals and his ethics are amazing. He's probably just the most caring and giving guy I've ever met. Um, and I feel like he's sort of brought that down to me. Um, and I've, I guess, learned a bit about that, um, where I feel like if you're a good person and you do good things, good things will happen to you. So for me, it's just the fact that he's such a good person and, He's the sort of guy where if you, if you ever need anything, it didn't matter if it was family, a friend, a random, if you ever needed anything, um, he would help you. Um, so the fact that, like, he's just so giving for me, like, I never really understood it. Like, I was like, well, why don't you give the money to people for? Like, keep your money. You don't buy yourself. Like, all these are saying, I have to think as a kid. Um, but as I got older, I realised that he's just such a, a loving person and he always puts others in front of him. He puts others before himself. I think that's why he's so well-respected. A lot of people, I guess, love him in a way. Um, and I know at cricket, he'd always come up, shake your hand, say hello. Um, just very well respected. And I guess he's the sort of person I want to be in a way. Like he's a role model for me growing up as well, seeing that. I feel like to see how others, um, I guess, look at him. Sort of how I want to be looked at. I want to like be, I guess, that person where I give back to others. Um, and I guess I'm respected by others. I think that's the big, the key word for him is respect. Um, I think that's the big thing I've learned from him is to not only respect your elders, but just respect people. Um, regardless of what they look like, what they wear, what they do, just to be able to know that everyone has their own talents and everyone is good in, in one way or another. And I guess that's just the, the positive attitude once he's, he's had on life um, is the fact that he's always, he's always giving and he's always got an open mind to people and 
he's just got a good heart, to be honest. And I feel like that's one thing that I try and make sure I have is, is a good heart um, and, and just be kind to people. And I think that's why he was so, especially within our first grade team, he was so well liked, was just because he, he's just a good person. So, yeah, like to obviously hear that. And as I said before, I'm a big family man. As I said, my mum and dad would go to work as a kid. So when my dad and pops house, they used to look after me. And Pop would always spoil me, like I'd have lollies and chocolate and I wouldn't be able to tell mum and dad, but he'd always look after me and I guess, yeah, loved me like he was his own son, like I was his son. But yeah, he's, he's, he's almost like a second dad, to be honest. And yeah, just to see him in the community, like if you go into, especially Penrith area, there's probably been a time where you've run into him because he's the sort of person who just go to the shops and help around him and just start a conversation like you've known him for 10 years. Um, that's just his personality, like you talk to anyone. So yeah, like just to think that, um, I, I guess like the impact he's had on other people, um, it, it makes me proud as a grandson. And Tyron, that year, your first full year in the top grade, as you mentioned, you were surrounded by both on your team playing against first-class cricketers, international cricketers, and then you go on to, to win the comp and win the Benno medalist as player of the game in that final. Did you think as a cricketer, did you think you'd made it at that point? Yeah, at that point, I was, I was satisfied. I think the fact that, like first grade is a big deal, especially like for the Penrith area to play for your own, um, I guess, area in a way. Um, obviously, I'm representing my pop, representing my team, but I'm also representing the Penrith area. Um, and as I said, we're all Penrith locals. Um, so we're all in the same boat. We're, like, we're very proud of the area where I grew up here. I love Penrith. It's part of me. My dad played footy for Penrith. My uncle played footy for Penrith. Like it's three generations of living, living here. Um, so for me at that point, I was... I was satisfied with, I guess, where I was at, especially as a young bloke. I was just happy that I was playing first grade cricket, to be honest. I felt like I'd earned it. I'd worked hard to get there. Um, I, was, I wasn't very, I was a late developer, so I wasn't very big growing up. And like when I started playing grade, I was always batting 10 and 9. I guess I wasn't, I guess, expected to play first grade, you could say. Um, but to actually get there and, I guess, prove people wrong, but not only that, do well um, and do well for my, for my area, my suburb, um, for me was what well, was amazing, yeah. Is that a motivation for you to prove people wrong, both in cricket but just generally in day-to-day life? Yeah, 100%. I think it's, for me, I use it as drive, um, as extra motivation. You obviously got those people that are supportive of you and behind you and they've always been supportive of you. Um, but for me, just to try and prove people wrong um, is such an important thing because I, I don't look at it as negative and gets down about it. If anything, it helps me um, because I see it as motivation just to prove people wrong and prove to people that I can do it. And I think regardless of what I do in life, it'll be something I look, I look to because I look as a young kid where people, I guess, especially in cricket, didn't really back my ability. The fact that I could prove them wrong and show that I actually could do it was, a, was, was probably the best feeling, especially that year we won it where the year before that people had, um, I guess, concerns over whether I was, I guess, ready to play first grade or if I was able to play first grade. So I had to bite my time a little bit. And obviously Tim Cummins had left and they got another keeper to come and play. Um, and at that point, I was a little bit salty because I thought I was ready to play. Obviously, I was still very young, but I felt like I'd worked so hard to get there that I was, I was ready. Um, but at the same time, I was like, right, okay, that's fine. Like, I'll, I use it as motivation again, bit me tongue, and just, if anything, made me work harder. Um, and then when I did get that crack, I took it. Um, and on debut against North Sydney at North Sydney, I got 90 off 60 balls to win, it, win us the game um, in a second, in a second, in a two day. Um, and I haven't looked back since then. That was probably the moment I'm like, right, I, I, I'm. I genuinely then back myself as well. Because it's hard. Like when people say that you're not good enough or you, you can't do it, you obviously do think about it a little bit. Um, and it can play on your mind. But if anything, I, again, I just use it as motivation. But when, once I actually did it, I proved to myself that I could do it. 
Um, and I think that's the, the most important part is that you back your own ability. And, and then once you prove to yourself that you can do it, I think anything's possible. And really that comes through um, hard work because you get that, I guess, through the hard work, that's when I guess you can prove to yourself that you can do it because you have that behind you. You know you worked hard. You know you've earned it. Um, and that's, I guess, where I was at, where I know I worked so hard to get that first grade opportunity that I, I earned it. I didn't just get given it. I earned it. Um, and then I just took that opportunity in both hands and haven't really looked back since then. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good attitude to have. Mum taught me that. But it's definitely the attitude I want to have where moving forward, I'm just worrying about myself. I'm just worrying about, I guess, proving those people wrong. And I guess sticking, I guess, that straight line sort of thing where um, I know what I need to do. Um, and I'm, I've always had that motivation and positive attitude to do it. I think anything's possible. That's with my, my teaching, uh, my cricket, just my day-to-day life, to be honest. Um, I think it's an attitude anyone can use um, is the fact that no matter what happens in life, um, no matter how good you are at whatever you do, you're going to have people that are going to doubt you, um, whether it's jealousy or they just don't think you're good enough. So I think it's one of those things where no matter what you do, it really just relies on you as a person. It's up to you. Anything's possible if you put your mind to it, I believe, um, and you work hard enough to get to a certain goal, I think anything's possible, whether that's in the workforce, that's playing sport, no matter what it is, I feel like it's one of those things where if you put your mind to something, you can do it. It might even be just getting healthy and staying fit. Like if you put your mind to it, um, the only person that is in control of the outcome is you, is, is you the individual. Um, so I think that's like, I guess, how I've looked at life in general is that everything I do, the only person that's responsible for it is myself. So that's sort of the mentality that I have. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Tyne, just prior to that season, you were selected to tour England with the Australian Aboriginal team commemorating 150 years since that first tour uh, over to the UK. Again, you're playing alongside first-class cricketers, cricketers you've known for years and years. What's one big thing you learnt as a person from that trip to the UK? I think that the, the Indigenous cricket in general has been huge for me with my development. I was part of the Empire from 16. Um, and I think for me, it sort of helped, not helped me grow up, but I think learn from the best. And obviously playing grade cricket, it's awesome. Um, like you're playing with, with good players. Like I'm playing with Gibbo, who's played first-class cricket and stuff. But to actually play with the big boys like Darcy Short, Scott Bowland, who we've just seen, he's playing a test match right now and last night on the 27th December, just absolutely killed it. Um, like, took too far off in one over, like, gave me goosebumps. And Brendan Dogger, who's playing for the Thunder, like, playing with these, and Dan Christian as well, like, that's just four off the top of my head. Um, to play with these guys at a young age, you learn so much because you learn how to play the game and how they do it. And in a way, I sort of just tried to replicate what they were doing because, um, obviously, like, they've played, a lot of them played, they've all played for Australia. Um, so, like, to play for Australia, you must know what you're doing. So, um, I just try to copy and really just almost like a sponge, just soaked up every single word they said. Um, and I, I made, I literally made sure that I hung around them as long as I could, just so I could just listen to their stories, listen to what they got to say, um, how they bat, like Dan Christian, his bat swing, how he, like he, how he goes about his innings, his mindset and their work ethic. Like Scotty Barnes' work ethic is unbelievable. Like just watching him train, like he's a big boy, but just watching how much work and hard work he's put in. Um, and, he's had, and again, he's a great story. He's had to work so hard. Like he's 32, making his test debut. Like he's had to work really hard to get there. It hasn't just been given to him. Um, he's had to work really hard. So from a young age, like from 19 to go overseas, like first time overseas, playing against county teams, like versus Joffrey Archer and Chris Jordan 
playing against first class cricketers, but playing with first class cricketers as well. What it does is it 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 really does um, make your game better. To be honest, like I reckon that that see that series um, in in England was probably the best I've kept up to that point. Um, just because they push you to their level, and you almost feel like a first class cricketer where you are expected to play at that level, and they push you and they make you work harder, um, and you don't want to let the team down. And you see what like how good they are, and they're they're very much perfectionists, which is why they're so good at what they do because they demand perfection. Um, and playing at like Trent Bridge and the Oval, like playing at the Oval was unbelievable. I remember standing so where the circle is, I was standing five minutes behind that when Brendan Dog was bowling because he was just bowling Thunderbolts that day. And just to think, like, I'm standing so far back for these bowlers. Like, it feels like I'm playing, I was playing professional cricket um, against, like, the best. Like, McDermott was playing for their team. And he was just whacking Brendan Doggett over the six. Like, he's bowling 150 kilometers an hour. Like, bowling bounces and McDermott's just whacking them everywhere. And, I, and really, like, obviously, I want to win. And we did win. But I'm thinking, how good is this? Like, this is what cricket I want to play, you know? Um, it sort of gave me that bit of, it's like a, I guess, like, I look at a line, you've got a bit of me. Um, but then you take it away from them. It's sort of, it was sort of that little feeling where it gave me a taste of it. Um, I just wanted more. And obviously, we only played six games. We won five out of six. But the whole experience, it just gave me that, that hunger to, to want to play more of that sort of cricket um, because it really pushed me to new extremes that I hadn't been to before, especially with my, my keeping. Um, like I, I knew I could, I could keep and I was a good keeper, but that, that tour, I kept so well, took some screamers, like you know, took some unreal stumpings. Um, just because I feel like because I was playing with, with some of the best cricketers in Australia, I felt like I had to jump to that next to next next level in a way just because I didn't want to let, let, let them down. Um, and not only that, but I was playing for my culture. I was playing for Australia. Um, and as a kid, obviously, trying to play for Australia. Obviously, like, I still want to get that baggy green, which would be, I guess, every kid's dream. But in a way, I still was able to represent not only my culture, but represent Australia. And that was my dream as a kid. So... In a way, I feel like I fulfilled my dream um, on that tour. I was just pinching myself the whole time. I just thought it was unbelievable. Like it, it felt like Christmas um, as a like nineteen year old kid. I'm still a kid, but like as a nineteen year old kid, um, to be able to go and play with some of the best creators in Australia um, and be mates with them and learn from them um, was just an amazing, amazing experience. And at the same time, being able to represent my culture and represent Australia, yeah, it was a dream come true and something like I dreamed of as a kid. Um, that I was able to turn into reality, and then something that I'm so thankful and appreciative for. Um, again, is one of those one of those memories that I'll never forget. When I finish playing cricket, I think I'll look back, and I think that that I guess tour was probably one of my favourite moments of, of my life. The experience has continued. Where last season, Tyrone, you were selected to represent the New South Wales second eleven against the touring England Lions. Do you recall the moment that you found out you were picked in that team? Yeah, I got a call off Freddie. Um, so I, I was, again, something I never thought would happen. Obviously, I'm thankful for my, um, that I got the opportunity, but obviously because of the, I guess, the season I had before that really helped. If I hadn't had that season, I don't think I would have gotten an opportunity because no one would have known that I could actually bat because um, I never scored runs when I was a kid. But um, to get that call off Freddie and say, mate, um, you've been selected to play in the second level game, I was like, oh, people, how good is this? And then when I found out we're versus England, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. England, eh? So I was like, well, I had a look at the team there, like Craig Overton playing for them, who's played in the Ashes. And I was like, geez, this is going to, like, one of my good mates, Tom um, Cannamore, who played TKC, who played for Penrith when I was younger, um, he was playing. So it's going to be good to, to see him again. But yeah, to, to be told that I was going to be playing um, against England, eh? And then when I had a look at the, the team list and saw who was on my team, and I had Daniel Sam, Stephen O'Keefe, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. I'm playing with some of the best cricketers 
that that have gone around for the last ten years, especially Stephen O'Keefe. Like watching him play, like he's played Test cricket for Australia. Um, he's just so good at what he does. Um, Jason Sanger was playing. Like we had a, we had a good we had a very good team. Hackers and Gibb, who were my close mates, were playing as well. So I was so excited. I just remember Freddie saying, "Mate, you've been picked. You're going to go play in Wollongong um, against England." I'm like, "Mate, this is like this is why I want to play cricket. Like the fact that I'm getting this opportunity is amazing." Um, and I, I got picked before that to play against ACT country. Um, for my first second eleven game, um, and I remember I, I was that excited for that one. Like I was, I got the call of Freddie, uh, and I was like, oh, "What's this going to be about?" I have no idea. Um, and when he said I got picked, man, I was like, I was over the moon. I cried. I thought it was unbelievable. Mum and dad was so proud. But I remember in that game, I kept really well. Um, I didn't bat very well. I only got one. I only got one innings. Um, I got four. And I'd come in two overs before the end of the day, and I got out. And I was shattered. But then to be able to get another opportunity against uh, like an English team. Like I was so grateful and like appreciative of the opportunity. And we went down there, I went with Hackers to Wollongong. Um, and again, just the, like grade cricket is really good, but like to see the difference in, uh, I guess, standard again um, is a massive jump. Um, just because like the consistency, um, like the bowlers don't really get it wrong. You don't really, you don't get chances and you can't afford to, to make a mistake either when you're keeping because if you make a mistake, they go and score 100. Um, so we batted first. We batted for the whole first day. and. Um, the second day, we, we kept batting. And I come in with Samsey. Daniel Samsey was just teeing off. He was whacking and I come in. Um, and we only had probably 10 overs to go before we were going to declare. Um, and then I batted with Samsey and then he got out. So like Daniel Samsey, Samsey how good is this? And he's an absolute legend of a bloke. The nicest, most humble bloke again. And then I got back to Stephen O'Keefe again. So another person that I watch on TV, now I'm batting with him. Like for me, it was like unbelievable. Um, amazing experience. And he's just such a... Aussie bloke, sock, like he's just a legend. Um, and he was like really good in the middle. We put on another 30 and I think we got 27 not out um, off about 22 balls. And I just remember Craig Overton bowling to me and he was bowling on my head and he was fast. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like, this is a career I want to play. Like it was hard career. Like it wasn't an easy 27. It felt, obviously it looks easy because it's the last 10 overs before we declare and they're, they're gone. But yeah, he was not mucking around and he could tell I was a young, a young bloke. So he wasn't young easy. I mean, he was bowling fast. I hit him for four. Then after that, he was like, right, okay, he didn't like that. So he started bowling my head. And that was just an amazing experience. Because I, had to fight. I had to fight for it. Like nothing was given to me. And that's the sort of cricket I enjoyed playing. Like I like the cricket where it's a battle. And that was like that first grade final where like both teams want to win it. It's a battle. Um, and that's what it felt like. And Overton obviously like, played Ashes. Great bowler. He doesn't make a mistake, you know. Like I think in that whole innings, he gave me one half volley. I hit it for four straight down the ground. Probably one of the best shots I've ever played in my life. But literally in his five-over spell, six-over spell, he did not bowl a bad ball. Like I had to make things happen just to score runs because – and it was tricky because we were about to declare, so I still needed to score quickly. But that alone, like I look back on that and I just think that's like the sort of – that's the standard I need to be at. And I think that's the best part about the second eleven was it showed me that um, – it's again, giving me that taste because I know I can do it at that level. But it shows what you need to be at that level. And it shows how consistent the bowlers are, which means you need to be consistent as a player, um, even more so, to win. So I got 27 odd, not out, um, bang with Sock, which was unbelievable. Then I had a keep. And then we, we had him fire far. So Sock, but like keeping the Sock was unbelievable. He's one of the best bowlers I've ever kept to, just because, again, so consistent, knows what he's doing, sets the batsman up. Um, and Daniel Sams was just swinging him. So I took three really good catches on that day. Probably one of the best days of cricket I've played. Um, I remember coming up and Clarky, the coach, he said, mate, you've had a really good day though. You, you've played outstanding. And like, for me, that was like, that was like Christmas. I was like, again, like a little boy, like being told by his coach how, like how well he played. Like I was like, 
or goofy. I was like, this is the best, like I'm playing so good. And for me, again, it just gave me that hunger to play more because it showed to me that I can do it at that level. Uh, I'm capable to play it at the level I was playing at, which meant that, again, I had that hunger to, to keep doing it. Um, where if I went there and really did poorly, I feel like I would have been like, right, okay, I'll, I'll obviously shattered. I would have worked harder to get better, but I, I would have felt like, right, I'm not ready. But after playing those couple of games, I was like, I was pumped. I was like, right, I can do it at this level. And the last two days got rained out. So I was shattered. So the last two days were rained out, but still I was content with, I guess, what I was able to do because I got the best some quality um, bowlers who played for England, um, especially like Overton to like, I remember Craig Overton the most just because I remember how scary he was in the way where he was so fast, but he was like so consistent. Um, it was that Wollongong, it was a bit wet, so it was a bit skiddy, it was a, it was a fast wicket. Um, it was a lovely wicket, but it was a bit, it was a bit quick. When he bowls, his bounces like at your head. He's so consistent with it where it's not at a good length, but Paul is just that like, dangerous length where you can't really do much with it. You've got to duck or get out of the way. I tried to pull him a couple of times and miss, but like just the whole experience was like, was amazing. You just had to fight so hard to get to that 27, um, but didn't give any chances. Like I bad really well, smart, um, which was really good. Um, and then that game got rained out. And then, and then uh, two weeks later, I got, I got another call off Freddie and mate, you've been picked again to play another second level game. We're going to go to Victoria. Um, I was like, this is perfect. Like I'm just like, they're, like, they're backing me in a way. That's how I saw like they trust my skills and believe in my ability where I'm getting more opportunities. And for me, every time I play, it's just another opportunity to prove that I'm able to play at that level. Um, and then unfortunately, <laughs> a day before we were going to leave, um, I got another call. I messaged Joffrey saying, oh, the game's been cancelled because of COVID. And that was when COVID just come in. So that was the first week of COVID. So everyone was still like, what the hell is this thing? Like, what are we doing? So I was absolutely shattered. And I'm like, well, this is a joke. Why am I not playing? Obviously, I found out a couple of months why we didn't play. But yeah, and then obviously, I haven't been able to get another opportunity since. Obviously, Corona hasn't helped that situation. Um, but the fact that I've been able to play well at that level it, it's helped and it probably come at the right time because during that obviously tricky period there where there's no cricket stuff, I just worked so hard. I did lots of running, lots of weights, uh, just worked my backside off that first COVID where we weren't working stuff. And I, I did a challenge where I did a seven kilometer run every day for 30 days and fittest I've ever been in my life. Like I was running the, so in the Peen River in Penrith, the old, if anyone's listening from Penrith, the old local in the Peen River, God's country, we are, uh, I'd, everyone a lot of people do the river run but i'll do that every day um and eventually like at the start i was probably doing it 34 minutes which is like not very good like bad, bad average um by then i was doing it 25 26 minutes so like i was cut it by 10 minutes nearly just because every day i was doing so i was fit as a fiddle um and then that next season i scored which was last year i scored 300s um average 50 scored a thousand runs um so again it just proved to me like that hard work um paid off and I think it's got a lot to do again with those second eleven games. So I learned a lot about my game in those second eleven games, especially versus some of the best players like England's second best team. Um, I learned a lot about my my own game. I think that had a lot of impact on that year that was coming following. Um, and by that point, I hadn't scored a, a, a hundred, not first round hundred, like Parker at hundred. I'd never scored a hundred. And I think because a lot of that comes down to I started playing grade cricket at fourteen, so I was always batting nine and ten. So I never really had an opportunity to score a hundred. Um, but it wasn't until first grade where I started to go. I moved up the order, batting six, and then I started scoring hundreds. I scored three last year, and then fortunately enough, this year I've scored 120 first Premier player to, to do that, which is, again, another amazing um, achievement, something I'm so proud of. So I think those second 11 games have really set me up in developing my game because I've sort of been able to learn and realise what it takes to play at that level. Um, and I think that's really it, those, those two games, especially that England game, 
um, it's really helped me put my game to like, bring my game to another level again. Um, and I still think there's, there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and I feel like, like I'm, I'm not even close to my peak yet, um, which is in, like, I think is a cool, is the way I look at it. Because again, it gives me that motivation to keep working hard and know that like, don't be, I don't know. It's my attitude, I guess, is like, I'm never, <laughs> it's a bit of a salty attitude. I'm never happy with how I've gone. Like I've scored 400s in the, in the last year and a half, which I'm happy with, but I feel like I should have scored eight, for example, you know, like that's the sort of mentality I've had where, and I learned that off Dan Krishna as well. He's never happy with how he's going. Like he always wants to get better. I think that's the attitude you need to have. Like you should never be content with where you're at. Like I, I look at people like Manus and Steve Smith as well. They're, they're, they're still, like they practice four hours a day. Like Steve Smith wants to hit the balls all the time. He shallow bats, he does everything. Because I feel like he wants, like you want to get better as players. And obviously they're the best in the world, but they still want to get better. So I think that's the, the attitude to have. And I think that's the attitude of anything you do in life is, um, I feel like there's always room for improvement no matter what you do. So for me, I feel like there's still a long, long way to go, especially with cricket on, um, I guess, where I want to get to and where my game, where my game's at. I feel like I can improve it even, like heaps more, even more, like further and further, another three levels. Um, so I guess that's the goal now is just trying to get better every week, keep working hard, running, gym, hitting balls, like just keep working hard um, and hopefully good things will happen. That drive and determination, time. obviously the, the, the playing alongside first-class cricketers, you've been able to learn and see how they operate. But that intrinsic drive, the, the desire to want to get better, the desire to want to prove people wrong, running for 30 days straight around the Nepean River, do you draw that back to your childhood, to your parents, to your pop? Is, is, this, is that ingrained in you as a person, do you think? Yeah, I, I, I love him. I think it's my dad. My dad, um, he's quite hard on me. He's, he's, a, he's a beautiful person, lovely man. He's, very, he's been very, what's the word? I guess he's, he's done a lot in his, in his life as well. He's been very successful, especially within, obviously, the footy career. Like, he's playing um, in the Super League at 16, like something that not, no, one can, no one else has ever done. Um, and playing first grade at 18 and doing really well, playing with like your Sterlings and Brett Kenny's. Like, I've heard it all from him. He's, he's, he, he has done well. Uh, he, he's a successful man. But I remember for me, being the first kid as well, he's, he's always been really hard on me. He's the sort of bloke where you take 100 and take five wickets, but then you go, well, you should go 150 runs and take six wickets. Um, and that's, I guess, that's the attitude that's been ingrained with me where be happy with your achievements and successful, but always know that there's, there's still more to do. And that's the sort of attitude he's had. Um, I remember growing up as a kid, I'd, I'd cry nearly every session because he'd be so hard on me. Like I'd be six years old and, and he's treating me like I'm 24. Um, it's funny looking back on, probably, I was probably a bit of a soup, but he was just so hard on me. Like we'd be in the backyard training, especially with my footy. Um, I played rugby league for 10 years, but I'd be out there back at six years old doing like duels he'd be doing for 20, with 21 year olds, like kicking and stuff. And um, I'd be doing like grubbers and we're going to get through the cones. I'd get nine out of 10, be like, no, nah, you got to go again. You're going to get 10 out of 10. Like, oh, Dad, come on, I've been out here for two hours. Like, let's just go inside. He's like, nah, you've got to do it. You want to be good, you've got to do this. Like, I'll, I'll never forget it. Same with cricket. Like, we were playing cricket in the backyard. He'd never, like, I'd be playing forever and I'd get a bat. And as soon as I made a mistake, he'd, he'd blow up on me. And I'm like, like, what do you mean? You're 40 years old versus a six year old kid. I'm like, of course I'm going to get out. Um, then I'd go inside crying to my mum, Dad's playing cricket, he's not going easy on me. Like, it, it, it's so funny, but I look back at it and it, it has helped me a lot because. It's that attitude again, isn't it? Like that, you've got to work hard attitude. And I think with dad, a lot of like, he hasn't had an easy journey either of his life as we, we would have heard on the podcast before, but um, he's, had a, he's had a rough journey as well. And he's had highs and lows and mountains he's had to climb. 
And I think with all that experience he's had, he's, he just tries to, I get, he's used that to shape me in a way. Um, he's used that to try and help me make sure that I do the right thing. Perfect example I give is he's really big on, um, obviously you can play sport, but you need something to, to fall back on. And he didn't. So I remember as a kid, he used to look after me. Mum used to work because he didn't have anything to fall back on when he finished footy. Um, so for me, I, I was lucky. I went to uni. I've got a teaching degree as well as my cricket. So if cricket doesn't work out or, um, you know, I get injured or, as I said, I'm not earning any money at the moment playing cricket, so I'm teaching. But for me, that, I think that's why it helps help me with my career because I'm relaxed. I'm not just worried about career because I've got, I've got a degree, I've got a job that, I can, that, that gives me a living. Obviously, the plan is to play professional cricket and live off that. That'd be amazing. But there's no pressure because I have a job. I think that's one thing that with my dad, with the experiences he had in his life and the highs and lows, and as I said, being unemployed after finishing footy or having to do brick, he did bricklaying for a long time. I remember he'd get home because my dad's such a hard worker, but he'd get home and he'd be exhausted. You have to lay down because his body's a mess because he's like hard day of like laying bricks all day um, for 12 hours. So like he's like he's I guess that that experience he had he didn't want that for me. Um, so he's been a real good role model for me where. Um, again, he's, he influenced me like become a teacher. Now I've got a really successful job. I'm able to work with kids, make a difference in kids' lives. And really, it's thanks to him. Because if it wasn't him, I probably would have fallen down the same footsteps as him where I'm just worried about sport. And then if I did that, I'd be nowhere now because, um, as I said, I haven't, like, I'm not making any money off cricket. So I wouldn't, I'd be, I wouldn't be making any money. And I'd be stressed because I'd be so focused on trying to make it in cricket because I've got nothing else. Whether now I have a backup regardless of what happens. Um, so that's just an example of why he's been so important in my life and just that work ethic again. Um, he was quite lucky where he was quite was very naturally talented, so he didn't train as hard. Um, so he says, I reckon he quietly did, likes to think that he could do everything without that training. But I, I think he knows how hard you have to work to try and get to the professional level. So for me, all the ways a kid, he's just been so hard on me. As I said, one of those parents where he's so proud of me, loves me, but at the same time, like he's... I guess grain, as you said, grain that attitude where it's never enough, like you can always get better. And I guess it's only been the last couple of years where I've got a bit older and matured a little bit where I've understood what he meant. Because every time like I play footy and I score two tries, he go, yeah, you, you did really well, but you let three tries in. Um, or, you know, yeah, because your kicking game wasn't good or you didn't slide in the fence. Um, like, and I just always think, why can't you just be proud? But really he was, he just wanted me to get better. You know what, he didn't want me to be Again, what I said earlier, content with that. It's the same as cricket. Like, I'd score 50, not as much when I was younger because he, I guess, had that footy brain, but I'd score 50, for example, because you should, should have scored 100. He's still proud that I did well, but I should have scored 100. I never understood that as a kid. I'm like, why? Like, can't you just be happy? But it's because he didn't want me to be content with what I'd done. He wanted me to get better. And I guess that sort of, without me even realising it until, I guess, talking about it with John, it's, I guess what he's done is he's made me want to, I guess, work harder and get better and get better and not be happy with how I've gone. So I can say getting 100, get 150 sort of attitude, you know? Be, be happy with 100, but understand that you can get to 150. And I guess I haven't really understood that until thinking about it where it's actually worked because without even realising it, that's, that's, that's what I do. And that's what he's like. That's him as a person. Um, he always wants me to strive to do better. I'll never forget, I think the reason why I love Crete so much is because one of the only times I've ever seen him cry, I was nine years old playing my first year of rep cricket. I scored 50. And he came up to me and like, gave me a hug and he cried. And I was like, I've never seen you do that before. Like playing footy, I could win us the game. And he'd be like, no, nah, you got to do this, go to that. But he was just so proud of me that I was like, wow, like, I want to keep doing that. So I reckon that's sort of where the love for cricket come even more where I was making him so proud. And it's hard with footy. Like he's a superstar. So like, he's always going to be hard on you with footy. He wants you to be like him. But I, I used to say to him, like, 
I was an okay footy player. Like I, I wasn't the worst. Like I had a good kicking game and I could read the game. But I said, I'm never going to be as good as you. Like you played first grade 18. Like I'm, no one's going to, I'm not going to be good as you. Um, but with cricket, I think because he like, it's a bit fresh to him. It makes it easier to, to, to I guess, make him proud because he doesn't understand it. Plus, in my opinion, cricket's so much harder where you have to concentrate for longer periods of time. Obviously, it's not as physical um, as footy, but like the, the, men, the mentality is, is brutal. You need to be concentrating every ball. If you make one mistake, you're out, you're sitting down. Like, it can be mentally brutal. But yeah, just that attitude with him growing up where never be, I guess, be happy with your achievements, but just understand that you can get better. Um, and that's really all he did. He probably did it in different, he probably expressed that in different ways, especially as a kid I never understood. Um, as I said, I always used to be like, why are you just happy that I did well? Well, like, he was always worried about making sure I got better. But again, that, that's, I guess, the attitude you need to have if you want to play high cricket is you want to keep getting better and better and better. You want to be better than the opposition. So, yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful for my dad for that. Obviously, it was a bit of tough love growing up. And I look back at it now and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that because um, it's shaped me into the person I am. Um, it's made me a fighter. I've had to fight for everything. Um, and, again, it's made that, that work ethic, knowing that, you know, you, that, that drive of knowing that you can always get better. There's always room for improvement. Like instead of getting 100, you can get 110. Or, you know, take three catches, you can take four. Um, that sort of attitude where you can always strive, I guess just striving to do the best you can and to be better, which I think is a good attitude to have. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. You mentioned there the importance of, of life outside of cricket and you're encouraged by your parents to go to university and you, know, you got the marks to get there. And in, in 2020, you graduated with a master's. What did that feel like for you? You were the first person in your family you know, to go to university. What was that moment like for you to graduate with a master's? It's probably, again... Probably my best, my, 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 my greatest achievement, to be honest. Um, no matter what happens in life, I think that's probably my greatest achievement because I'm a good example. I look at my mum um, and she, like, she's my rock. I love my mum. She's so supportive. And I just look at her and I'm like, I don't know how she's done it. Amazing woman. She's worked so hard for her whole life. Um, and to get to where she's now, she's very, very successful now um, within work. She runs a business called Clonic, which is makeup. And it's a very big business. But, like, to see how hard she's worked to get there, like 20 years of hard work to get where she is. But then, like, for me, I just look at, I guess, being able to be the first person in my family to go to university, not that university is everything, um, but to go to university and at 2024 20, have, like, a, 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 I guess a job that's set for life in a way. Like, I'm, I'm set for life where I've always got a job. I'm making a difference. Well, look at, like, my mum who had to work 20 years so hard, like, to where she got. Um, it just makes me even proud of the fact that I'm able to, I guess, do them proud because mum knows, well, at least I don't have to do, I, I don't have to, um, I guess, do what my mum had to do. I did four and a half, five years of, like, of hard work, but it's worth it because now I've got a, a, a job teaching kids, which is obviously like something that I, I could do for the rest of my life. I've got two younger brothers, like young, young kids, I guess, especially in primary school, they need male role models. Um, we don't have as many male teachers in primary school. Hopefully over the years, I'm trying, I'm working with the business side of the department as well. I've got a new job where I work three days a week teaching and then two days a week I work on like the, the DET side, trying to promote Aboriginal people to go to uni. That's a new job I've just picked up. And that's the thing with, with teaching that's been amazing is it's opened up heaps of opportunities. Um, so with teaching, I've only been teaching for a year, but now I'm able to work on the corporate side, um, looking at trying to get Aboriginal people to go to university to, go to university to become teachers. 
Um, so even that alone, I know my family, like mum's so proud of the fact that I now, after I finished my degree, I'm trying to get other Aboriginal people to go to uni. It's something she's very proud of. And to be the first person in my family, you know, I, I think the way I like to look at it is I'm sort of setting an example. Uh, my brother's just finished school. He's going to uni now next year, so he's going to be the second. Um, my little cousin, so my um, first cousin's kid, um, she's only in year 10, but she wants to be a teacher now as well. Um, not saying that's because of me, but like I, I feel like I've had an impact on my younger cousins to want to go to uni and, and do something at university, which is amazing. And as I said, university's not everything. You can get amazing jobs without having to go to uni. Um, but I think uni is, a, is an awesome way where you can get a really good job. You can get a further education away from school, like after school. Um, and it's just an amazing experience. I loved uni. I thought it was a cool experience. I met new people, um, learned a lot about myself, gave me a bit of responsibility um, because you need to make sure that you go to the lectures and tutorials at a certain time, make sure you get there. And for me, it was just it's a proud moment. The fact that, again, I'm sort of, I guess, having a little bit of influence on my family. My younger brother's going to be a teacher as well. He wants to be a PE teacher in high school. So it's no, I feel like it's no coincidence that, I guess, I've had a little bit of a, uh, I guess, I've shaped it a little bit to... I guess, help my, my cousins and brothers and, I guess, the younger family members to go to uni. And it's just that cycle, isn't it? It's like monkey see, monkey do. And I feel like, especially for my Aboriginal side, like we know, well, now that I'm working on it as well, there's not many, not as many Aboriginal people that are going to university. The percentage is quite low. And if we increase that percentage of people going to uni and getting good jobs, you lower the risk of, the, you, you increase the death rate, um, number because we also know the Indigenous death number is quite low at the moment, like the expectancy of life. You lower like mortality rates, you lower suicides, um, you lower low socioeconomic areas, you lower poverty, you lower the health risks just by people getting better jobs. And that's that cycle that we've seen where a lot of Indigenous people are unemployed because they've seen mum and dad that have not worked and they've, you know, they're drinking and doing other bad things that they shouldn't be doing. So they think that's the normality. Then they do it and their kids do it. And so it's like a cycle, you know. And I've seen that. You know, we've been like close friends and family and, and everything. Like I've seen that cycle. I've seen it from a young age. Um, and I think the, the best way to, I guess, stop that from happening is getting good jobs, going to uni, making money, and more importantly, the education, knowing, understanding. Because I think the education system is so important, especially for young Aboriginal people, but not only that, non-Indigenous people as well, where you've got to educate the people or educate kids on what the right thing to do is. And I go to my school, for example, and see some of the kids and some of the lives that they're living at home, and I wouldn't wish it upon the worst enemy. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Some of the things that some of my kids have gone through that I teach, like they've gone through 10 times the amount of stuff I've gone through. Um, so for me, it's just about trying to guide those kids in the right direction, be a role model for them. And as I said, a lot of them don't have male role models. Um, you'd be surprised. Like we have, unfortunately, the rate of, I guess, only one, only one parent at home is quite high, just within the community. That's just how it is, unfortunately especially within, I guess, the area that I'm working. Um, so, like, for me, it's just about being that male, male role model in China. If I can just help that kid in one way, I guess, to brighten their future, I feel like I've done a good enough job. For me, I think the same thing with my Aboriginal culture, that cycle with my own family. We've sort of, we're starting to break out of that cycle now. And I guess I've been able to start that. Um, but I, it wouldn't have been possible without my mum and dad. As I said, without, again, without my mum and dad, I guess, pushing that, I probably don't do it. You know, like, I probably just go and get a normal job or not a normal job but go and get a basic job and that's it but because they pushed it so much and i guess showed to me the importance of education and how it can help and how i can help others through that i think i owe a lot to um and they're the reason why i've done it so obviously it's an awesome achievement for me but i also think 
it's a really, really proud achievement. I'm proud goal for my mum and dad too because they've, they've helped me get to, to where I am. Without them, I don't, uh, as I said, I don't finish my degree. I don't get to where I am, especially with my mum. Like, I remember at school, because I didn't, I wasn't, like, I'm not the smart, not, wasn't the brightest kid, but I just worked hard. My mum used to help me a lot, like, growing up with my work and, like, she practised me words as when I was in primary school or do me spelling tests for mum before I went to school and did it. And um, even at uni, mum used to help me. Like, if I ever needed help, I go, mum, what do you think about this? Or can you read this for me? Like, she used to read my essays for me and, have a look over them and let me know like you think they were good or not, how I could improve. So like, they've been on the journey as well. And yeah, like, as I said, like without mum and dad, I don't think I would have got to where I am. And now I'm able to, I guess, guide my young cousins and, and brothers to hopefully go along the long path and do something that they want to do and something that um, I guess they're, they're proud of as well, but more importantly, something they're passionate about. And that's the, that's the key, right? Like in life, you want to be passionate about what you do. You want to enjoy what you do. And for me, I, I love teaching. I'm passionate about helping kids. Um, as I said, I'm a big believer in if you do good things for others, good things will happen to you. Um, so I see, like, I guess, what these kids have been through. And for me, I just want to make a difference in their lives in one way or another. So for me, like the fact that I'm able to wake up and go and do something that I enjoy, I guess, makes life what makes life meaningful. Talk about making that positive difference, Tyron. When you look at the education system, it's quite structured. There's a curriculum that needs to be followed. How do you as a teacher, as a role model, how do you overcome the curriculum? And yes, you need to kind of teach that, but how do you impart life skills and make that difference that you're hoping to make outside of that structure? Yeah, it's tricky. It is very tricky because you obviously need to make sure you stick to the curriculum and do all the things. But I think, and now that I'm, I guess, on the corporate side of things, I can have a little bit more of a say on it. But I feel like a lot of the time, we, from the department, the people that are not actually in the classroom, I feel like they forget sometimes the, I mean, maybe not, but I feel like sometimes we forget the environment in the classroom. Like, for example, the way I look at it, like you're doing times tables, right? If a student has got other things going on at home, times tables is the last thing that they're worried about learning, you know? Like, if they've got stuff going on at home um, that is like, negative, the last thing that they want to worry about is times tables, right? So for me, it's about trying to manipulate and find ways that I can, which is easy to do, like connect the curriculum to fun things or to the things that can happen in life. Good example, like it's hard to understand, but a good way that I like to do it, for example. So let's just do, let's talk about like if we're teaching maths, right? I, I obviously, all the kids know I'm Aboriginal um, and a lot of the kids are proud of Aboriginal culture as well. Even the kids that are not Aboriginal, they understand it, they, they enjoy it. So, for example, I'll go and take my students out to, like, we have an Aboriginal garden, like a bush tucker garden, and we'll create something called a burra ring. So what a burra ring is, and I'll, I'll explain to them what a burra ring is. So a burra ring, and now this is where we bring in English. We're doing story time, right? So talking about a burra ring. So a burra ring is something that Aboriginal people traditionally would make. So there'd be a fire in the middle, and you'd dance in a circle. And when you tap your feet on the ground, um, you would make a burra ring because the dirt gets planted into the ground, and it makes like a, a circle, all right? Now you're learning maths, you've got circle, then we can start talking about the diameter and like how you make circle. Then you've got dance because we're, we're, we're creating the burra ring by dance. So all, automatically you've got three curriculums already. And then we make burra rings. All right, everyone go in groups of three. Maths, you've got to make group of three. Uh, make a burra ring. All right, guys, how many burra rings have we made here? And then you're doing maths again. All right, then you're talking about like, so all little ways like that is how I would bring it in. Um, and then for the example, the trees, you start talking about the trees, so they're like the eucalyptus tree. Grab a leaf, smell it. Aboriginal people would use eucalyptus for this, this, and this. And you've got science, yeah? So, like, for me, I like to, um, I guess, teach them things without even them realising that they're doing it. 
Um, and that's what we've got to do as teachers. I feel like you've got to try and make it as fun as possible for the kids. Um, like you could still do time samples like that. Blue rings, all right? So we've got six blue rings, two lots of three. You know what I mean? Um, rather than being in the classroom and going, oh, what's, what's two times three? So it's, it's a bit boring, especially for the, for those, or for, for any kid. Like, you know what kids like? They've got lots of energy. Um, if they've got things going on at home as well, the last thing they want to be is in the room looking at a board all day. Um, so for me, I just try and make things, I guess, as fun as possible. And I'm able to, like, I would do that, for example, we'll go and play sport. Um, and within my sports lesson, um, I'll put maths in there somewhere. Without them even realising it, I'll put maths in. For example, like, take 10 steps this way. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, without them realising it, I would bring that in. Or you guys go and make your own teams, but they have to be even. Then they've got to count how many kids on each team. Like, just little things like that, which you can add into the curriculum. Um, and that's one thing that I'm, I'm still learning as a new, as a new teacher is finding ways that I can manipulate the curriculum to, to meet it, to meet the standards, to meet what I need to do, but to make it as fun as possible for the kids. Um, and obviously the kids know, like, I love sport. Um, they all know that I play cricket. Because what I like to do as well within my own classes, and they put me on RFF at the moment, so I'm lucky where I'm able to teach a lot of classes. Um, so I, I don't have my one actual class. I teach a lot of classes at, at different times, which is really cool because I'm able to build a relationship with all kids. It's really funny because I go on the playground, I'll have 50 kids come up to me and go, oh, hey, Mr. Lydia, how are you going? Like sometimes, like if I'm exhausted, I've got to try and like go around the back way to get to the staff room just so I don't get smashed with kids because it takes me 20 minutes to get to the staff room some days just because kids come up and have a talk and I can't help myself. So like if the kid comes up to me and says hello, I'll always like say, oh, hello, Michael, how you, for example, how are you going? Or Billy, how are you going, mate? Like, have you been and stuff? Like I'll have a conversation with them, like give them the time of the day. Um, and I feel like sometimes we forget like just two minutes out of your time, like to make, like to talk to someone else that can make their day, for example. Um, and all these kids might not be getting much attention at home. So the fact that you're coming to school and giving them attention, like kids need attention. They need, like I needed attention. I was an attention seeker when I was a kid. I loved attention. And a lot of kids need that. Um, especially if they're not getting it at home, like they might be like, I guess if you've got a lot of siblings at home and you're like, you might get forgotten about sometimes and not, you know, you might not get that attention. But at school, if you get that two minutes of attention, like all of a sudden they enjoy coming to school. I feel like a lot of time that's why kids want to come up and talk to me because they know I'll have a chat to them. And like, how cool is this? I'm talking to like a teacher that I, I like. Like, he's a cool teacher, you know? And that's what I like to be looked at as like that cool teacher where we do our work. Like I would say to some of the kids, especially in stage three that don't like doing work and, you know, starting to develop and they think they're, they're cool and they're, you know, they don't stink, like their poo don't stink sort of thing. Um, so like I'll say, right, we do our work, do our maths, we go outside and play cricket or we'll go and play sport, you know? Um, and a lot of kids, that's what they love. They love going outside and playing sport and using, you know, the outdoors. Um, so I manipulate that. I feel like that's where I'm lucky where, because I am sporty and male and I join in. So like I'll play on this tag with them and I'll play cricket. I'll have a bat and I'll bowl to you. And they love cricket, I think, because they know that I play it. So, oh, Mr. Lydia's bowling to me. How cool is this? And like, they'll whack me for six and, you know, I'll bowl a nice little loopy one so they can hit it for six. And they'll be like, they think it's the best day ever. So with all of that, it's just about making a difference to the kid any way you can. Um, just trying to make a kid's day. And every kid's different and you've got to do different things. But as I said, once you build, build that relationship, once I build that relationship with kids, I'm able to almost do whatever I want with them um, in a way because they respect me and they listen to me. And I think that's the big thing. And I, I, again, I thank my pop and my dad where I'm so big on respect. So every time I take a class, especially a new class, I have for the first time, I go, all right, you respect me, I'll respect you. So I, I, I don't know, like I look back at my schooling life and, um, you have everyone has a, you know those teachers that don't let you talk. Um, like you get in trouble for the little things, you know, and you don't want to work for those teachers. Like I don't, like, I don't respect you, so I'm not gonna, re- I'm not gonna do any work for you. But for me, like I, if I get the respect of the, the students, 
I feel like that's when I can almost get them to do any work I want. And it, it just comes back to that respect. Um, and as I said, like I say, look, if you respect me, I'll respect you. And that's why, you know, you do your work, we'll go outside, we'll play sport, you know, like we'll, we'll have fun. But we've got to make sure that we hit the curriculum first and then we do the fun stuff. So I guess that's the way I, I guess I go about my teaching. I like to be that. I think it's because I'm young and I'm fresh to it, but I like to be that energetic teacher that I guess, obviously, I, I, I understand the importance of like the education is so important. That's the most important part. But as you said, the life skills, you know, enjoying it. Like you want to make memories at school. So you don't want to think back of your school life when you finish and go, oh, I hated that. Like you want to, even if it's one thing, you know, I remember playing cricket in year four with Mr. Lydia and hitting him to six, you know, like something that you remember rather than like, you know, sitting there all day and thinking, oh, school's boring. I just looked at the whiteboard all day and copied what the teacher wrote. Um, I'd rather it be fun. Um, and I feel like when it's fun, you, you, learn, you learn more, in my opinion. Like when you're having fun, you're learning without even realising it. Like that, that original story I told you, like they've just learned four different curriculums without even realising it, you know. Um, and they remember that stuff. Like I go to school now and they go, oh, Mr. Lydiard, like I made a Buddha ring at home with my, my, my brother for fun. I'm like, how cool is that? But you tell them eight times six, they don't remember it. You know what I mean? But they, 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 they remember the fun stuff. And if you can try and manipulate it and put the curriculum in that, then it makes life a lot easier. And I guess that's how... I guess I, I do it anyway. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Tony, are you knowingly channeling your, your pop in your teaching? Because hearing you talk about that, you, you, you're willing to have a chat to the kids who want to have a chat. You're willing to help the kids who need the most help. You're willing to make a difference. It kind of goes back to our earlier conversation yeah. around what your pop does in the community. Is that front of mind for you or do you think, again, that's just so ingrained in you from your upbringing? Yeah, it's, yeah, I haven't really thought about that until you said that. It's, it's so true, actually. Like what we talked about is pop. Like that is literally pop to a T. And I think you're right. I think it's just ingrained. I don't think about it. I just do it. And again, I think it comes back to that, I guess, that childhood where like pop would say, you know, like you take two minutes out of your day to say hello to someone, you, you might make a difference to them, you know? And I, that's all it is. It's just trying to make a difference to someone. And, I guess showing the showing someone a bit of time a day in a way. Um, they say one of the most the, the thing that makes someone the most happy, is, and, and it's like scientifically proven, is by saying their name. So I was saying, "Oh, hey, Michael!" Like actually acknowledging them um, and their name. Um, so I always like I'm very big on like remembering people's names. Like, oh, hey, Johnny, or hey, Billy. Like, because for me, like I've, scientifically, it's proven that like that can that like. It's something in the brain that makes you, because you're recognising them as a person. And I think that's pop, again, like, as I said, he always said, you know, like, someone might be having a bad day today, but you saying hello and, I don't know, having a laugh with them or just being nice, almost a bit of, like, just positive humanity, bit of humanity, it, it, it can brighten someone's day, you know. And I guess that's how I go about it. Um, with my teacher, like, I'll, I make sure, even, even the staff, even, te- like, other teachers, I always make sure that I say hello to everyone. Good morning, like, good afternoon. I'll talk to you later. Like, have a good afternoon. I mean, like, it's funny because even like I go to the Macca's drive-through, for example, and like, my mum and my brother say this all the time. I'm like, you're off your head because like, she'll go, okay, what do you want? I'll just be super, super nice. Um, and then every single time that like I'll get my food and like, I'll say thank you. Like when I'm paying for it, I'll like, oh, thank you so much. Whatever. Every time I get my food, I'll be the first person to say, oh, have a nice day. Like I'll always do that. Like before they can even say, oh, have a nice day. My mum will like, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's just nice. It's a nice thing to do. Um, so like, I think it's just one of those things I've always been like that where just almost over the top nice, but it's just because I'm just, again, been brought up to be well-mannered, respected. Like for me, like if I was to get, get something, like it would feel 
weird not to say like thank you for example or please you know like can i have this please like if i said can i have this it just feels weird you know and i think that's again pop mum dad like my nan as well it's just been ingrained in me to i guess be well-mannered respected um and be um i guess have a bit of awareness of the fact that you can make like having a bit of yeah personal awareness where you can make someone's day just by saying hello sometimes you know um and i'm a big believer in that i believe that um, you know, you can make someone's day just by saying hello, you know, um, or brighten their day up at least um, just by having a, you know, a verbal conversation with someone, just being nice to someone and, you know, say have a good, like, even just by saying, oh, you know, have a good day can make, like, you can make someone's day a bit better, you know, that's all it is. And, yeah, I think I can thank my family for that and it's been ingrained in me and it's something that, you know, I'll never change. Torin, you're a proud Verify man and when we did speak to your dad, Glenn, on the podcast, uh, last year, he spoke about how he would take you and your brothers to spend time on country in northern New South Wales. The times that you've spent on country and learning about your culture, what has that taught you as a person? Yeah, it's probably my favourite thing to do because it, it almost like refreshes me in a way. It's like refreshing just because I'm able to go back to, I guess, my roots in a way. Um, and I've been very lucky where dad's well, and my nan especially, but like I've always known I was Aboriginal, so I've always been very big on culture. Um, growing up, like I'd do corroborees, which is like Aboriginal dances where you get painted up. Um, you know, we'd have campfires, like sit around the fire and tell, tell stories or yarns. Yarning means like stories in Aboriginal um, and tell yarns around a fire. And my nan would have the best yarns when she was a kid because my nan grew up off the land. She was born on the river, like real black fella. Um, Aboriginal lived in a grass hut. Um, used to catch rabbits at the age of 10 on a Brumby, like for the family to live, like live off the land, like listening to her stories as a kid was just unbelievable. And I think all of that has helped me grow as a person and I guess grow within my own culture where I'm so proud of who I am and what I am, um, which is what it should be as an Aboriginal person. Like every Aboriginal person should be proud of who they are and what they are rather than having to hide it like some people have done in the past or like, you know, not be proud of it. Um, and that's how I've been brought up. I've been super proud. Like I used to go to school in primary school and think I was full black just because all my family were black, um, black skinned, just because my, my dad married a, my beautiful mum who is um, Australian. So um, obviously that means I'm going to be lighter. So it only takes three generations to take out the black um, in an Aboriginal person. Don't know why. It's just how the genes work, whether everyone else is married like a, a full Aboriginal person. So my side of the family is the only one that's white. So... I've seen all my cousins and that they were black. So I just, I, and as I said, it didn't matter what colour you were. They were still my family. They still loved me like I was there. So it didn't matter. Um, and that's what family's about. It doesn't matter what you look like, what colour you are, you're still family. So I just thought that was black. So I'd go to school and, you know, I'd talk like how they were. How you going, bro? I still do that now. Like all the boys pick up on all the time. I always go, hey, bro, how you going? Like it's just how we talk. Um, it's just a bit of slang, like a bit of Australian Aboriginal slang. Like, how you going, bro? Yeah, that's, that's deadly, bro. Like that sort of stuff. But yeah, when we go on a country now, like Leninus, for example, it is just, it's enlightening and it's refreshing. Um, and it's sad. That I, it, it, I don't want to say this, but in the world we live in, it's hard to always see your family, your cousins and stuff. Like my first and second cousins who live all around Australia, you hardly see them. And it's not until you have those moments when you do, because what happens is when we go back to country, normally everyone goes there at once. So all my mob in Queensland, I live in Queensland at the moment, they'll come down like Taree, like all the people that are living around New South Wales and Queensland, we'll all go to that one area and we'll have corroborees and, you know, we'll go and do rabbit hunting, which is my favourite thing ever. So you jump on the back of a ute with a big light, you put the light on the rabbit and they can't see and the whole family go around the light and try and jump on the rabbit. We've never caught one, but, 
it's so much fun, but then we'll go shooting and all that, like just all the, and there's no phones where we go. So you're not allowed to have your phone. Um, so if we'll go for a week without any social media, no networking. And for me, that's amazing because it's just, it's refreshing. It brings you back to, back to earth in a way, you know? And just to, again, sit around the fire with your cousins and listen to stories when they were kids and what they used to get up to. And it, it, it honestly is probably my favourite part of the year. And we normally go, it's funny, because we go there normally in the wintertime. We do corroboree, which is, so you get painted up and you only wear like a little red cloth around your waist. And, it is, and we do it at night time and it's absolutely freezing. You are, like every time we start, I am freezing. But as I said, once you get into it, it's amazing. But yeah, and then we go fishing. Um, you know, and like my dad's been amazing for that. He teach, he's taught me a lot about my culture. And the main thing my dad like praises or has taught me about is, and he talks about this a lot on the podcast, is just being proud of who you are um, and proud of your people and having that pride. Um, and for me, like pride is the big one. Like I'm like every time I go anywhere or do anything, especially in the workforce, I'm representing the culture. And that's one thing I'm very privileged and glad that I'm able to do in my own, like my job of teaching is everyone knows I'm Aboriginal. Everyone knows I'm proud of it. Plus, everyone else is proud of it as well. Um, that's the sort of, I guess, vibe that I brought across is, you know, like we should be, as, as an Australian, we should be proud of Aboriginal culture. You know, we have one of the oldest cultures in the world. Like, regardless if you're Indigenous or non Indigenous, you should be proud of Aboriginal people. Like, they're our native people as Australians. They are our na- native people. Um, and that's the sort of thing I like to bring across, especially with, like, the young generation. And they've really thrived off it, my kids at my school, is that they're, they're all proud of Aboriginal culture, whether they're, they're Aboriginal or not. Um, we even have like, we have red bibs and I've got to thank my, um, my boss for this. We have like red bibs at our school. So kids that are Aboriginal can wear these red bibs around the playground and just acknowledges that they're Aboriginal. And it just is a way that they can be proud of who they are. So like, look like not to be, uh, not an Aboriginal, look, I'm Aboriginal, I'm proud of who I am. And the other kids like think it's cool too, you know? Um, and that's what it should be about. And that's what I guess our society should be. We should just be proud of Aboriginal culture. So I know I'm certainly very proud to be Aboriginal. Um, and if you're not Aboriginal, you should just be proud of the First, Na- the First Nation, you know, like the fact that they're so well. Even just be, like, proud of, like, how they live off the land. Like, some of the ways that the Aboriginal people used to live, if you don't know much about it, you should, like, read some books or have a look on YouTube, like, on how Aboriginal people used to live. But some of the things that they used to do, like, how smart they were is amazing. Like, how they live off the land is just incredible. Like, some of the things they used to do, like, they were really intelligent people. And even the plants, like, how they used to use plants for medicine and or like every plant had a, had a meaning behind it. Um, and then the sort of things that we learn when I go out the country, like that will teach me about the plants and about the animals and, you know, back burning, like how to back burn properly, um, how, not, not that we would do it, but how Aboriginal people would do it. And then I'd sit around the fire and listen to Nan's stories about how she used to live and I guess the racism and the stuff that she had to go through. I'd just be sitting there and just in awe. Just like, how? Like, and she's, again, the most loving person will do anything for everyone, even though she obviously had a terrible, I guess, not terrible upbringing, but had to go through a lot of bad things with society when she met my pop, who was white. Um, and like to think that she's still so forgiving and loving, like it's just amazing. Um, and yeah, it's it's honestly probably my favorite time of year is when the whole family gets together. My Aboriginal side, they all get together, um, and we like you know we dance, we sit around laughing around the fire. Um, and there's no phones, there's no media, and I think we just sit around, enjoy each other's company. Honestly, it's the most fun I've ever had, and I'm learning about my culture at the same time. The best part about it is then I can go and go up the country and learn that. Then I can bring that back to Penrith and teach the people in my community about it. So yeah, it's something that you know I'll enjoy for the rest of my life, and hopefully when I have when I have kids, um, I can do the same thing for my kids. Tyrone, it's been an incredible journey for you 
to this point, you know, we talked about the cricket achievements early on, but your achievements in education and just generally your, your approach to life is very refreshing. Do you, do you take the time to pause and reflect and look back on your journey to this point? It's a good question, Jono. Um, in all honesty, probably not. It's probably something I, I, I should do. I think that week, um, well, I haven't done it for a couple of years now because of obviously COVID, but um, that week when I go away to back to country, that's one thing that I feel like it's really good for. It, it is good time to reflect on things. But I feel like because life is just so hectic and I've got so much things I want to do, I probably haven't sat back and, and thought about it. The one thing I guess for me that I want to do is obviously I'd love, I probably should sit down and have a think about it. But when I do think about it, I'm like, it, it, it does amaze me the things I've been able to achieve. But more importantly, I think for me, it's just about making my mum and dad proud of what I've been able, of my family proud of what I've, what I've achieved. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think I'll really understand or know what I've done until I finish, like until I like, I guess I get a bit older. I know I've done some, I know, I feel like I've done some pretty cool things um, in my life so far. Um, but for me, again, I just feel like the road, it's just the story, I guess the journey is just beginning. And I, I want to do more in a way. Like I want to be more successful and do, I guess, cooler things. I'd love to be able to like make it in career. Like that's the goal. I'd love to be able to do it. Just because I'd love, now that I've been able to teach, I'd love to, I guess, put all of those lessons I've put in, like put it like to, to life in a way. Um, and be that role model, be a further role model. Because I'd love to be able to play, like even the Big Bash, for example, I'd love to play in the Big Bash and know that like all my kids that I'm teaching or watching, like, wow, I want to do something like that, you know? Like, it'd just be really cool. It'd be really, it'd be really cool. But I look back, like the achievements so far have been like education and cricket. Um, it's something I'm very proud of. Like, as I said, that tour, we talked about that tour to England. Like, that's one of like my favourite things. Like, and be able to talk about it with you has been, almost been able to reflect on it and think about it. So I really haven't thought about that tour until today. And like looking back on it, it's such, like, it's such an amazing achievement, such an amazing experience, opportunity. Um, so like that, and obviously the Belvedere, like winning the final was amazing. And obviously being the first person in my family to get like, like there's, so many, there's so many things that I can reflect on. But it's probably something that I, I, I should do better. I should just sit back. It's probably one of those things where when you have a bad day or because everyone has a bad day or, you know, you're stressed about something. Probably a good, that'd be probably a good time to just sit back and, and think about what I've done because it's definitely something to be proud of. I'm, I'm hoping, I hope my family, I'm sure they are proud of me and what I've done because it's all thanks to them, really. Like they're my, they're my unit. Um, without them, like, I don't think anything I've done is possible. But yeah, it's probably, it's definitely something that I should do more often. Um, but yeah, I probably should just sit down and, and, and have a reflect on some things I've done. But life is just so full at the moment. I'm just kind of just taking a step at a time at the moment. Tyron, do you believe in life that we, we find ourselves as people or we, or we create ourselves? Do you think that the path is laid out for us and we just live it or that every decision we make every day shapes where we end up? That's a cool question. I like that. I think it's the, the second one where everything, we, like what we do, it shapes us. Um, I, I, I believe that we are our only, um, you only got yourself to blame for the positive and negative things that happen. Um, in life, obviously not all the time. Like obviously, sometimes you might get a bit of bad luck, or you might need you need a bit of good luck. I feel like within our own journey, we we have the most influence on what happens. Um, I I honestly believe, and this is probably this question is would if you asked me this question three years ago, I probably wouldn't know the answer. But now I definitely know just because of my teaching and what I've seen. It's definitely I guess teaching one thing it's done. It's made me again mature and I guess grow up a bit. Like especially grow up. 
I got both mum and dad at home. Like I'm well supported. I've always gotten things. I've always had food on the table. I've got sheltered. Like I've always, I've guess I'm not a spoiled brat, but I've been, um, I guess, always been well looked after. Where I guess I haven't really thought about others. Been a bit stubborn, but with teaching, it's made me realise that you, the experiences you have in life, um, it definitely shapes you. Which is why I'm so lucky with the life I've had because I guess how I've grown up, it's definitely helped shape me into the person I am today. Um, so I definitely think experiences shape who you are, but it can, it can be positive. I mean, sorry, it can be negative, but it can also be positive. So you might have had a negative experience as a kid, but that can help, you, that can help shape you in a positive way because it, mean, it might help you shape you in the fact that you want to do better. Um, a bad experience might turn you positive because you don't want to go down that, that um, I guess, line. Um, so I definitely think we have a, a massive impact on our own journey, but it also um, is important, like the experiences we have I think the experiences we have help shape us to the person we are. We're getting very deep and meaningful here. I love it. Um, but, yeah, I, I really, really believe that my life, especially like how my mum and dad have brought me up, I think have a massive impact on how I've turned out. And, again, I'm so grateful. Grateful is the word. I think teaching has helped me be more grateful for what I've got um, and more appreciative of what I have because um, we didn't have like – Mass, like I didn't have, as I said, we didn't live in a mansion. We don't live in a mansion. Like we're not rich or nothing. But I, I was like, we struggled through life, especially when I was a kid. But I was, we struggled through. Mum and dad struggled through, so I could have things, you know. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Mum would work long hours, so you know, we had food. Um, I had a footy, I had a cricket ball. Um, I had my cricket bat, you know. Um, I remember getting a cricket bat for Christmas when I was nine, um, and like it was like the best day of my life, you know. Um, so like we, we weren't well off. Um, but we always had things, you know, and I'm so grateful for that because, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that don't have the same experiences that I was able to have. Um, you know, we always went on holidays. Like, Dad used to go out and play backyard cricket with me. Like, I had, I had the best childhood ever. Um, then my brother come along and we played footy in backyard cricket all the time and we had a laugh. Like, our family is always a laugh. Um, so I'm so grateful for that and that has definitely shaped me into the person I am. So I definitely believe that, you know, experiences shape us as, as human beings. Uh, and I honestly think that whatever you want to do in life as an individual, you have the most say. So if you want to, if you wanted to play, I don't know, if you want to play cricket, you want to play footy, or you know, you want to be a teacher, for example, by working hard um, and I guess by doing the right things, uh, you can achieve those things. Um, but it's on you at the end of the day, like it's on the individual. If you want it, you can get it. It doesn't matter what you, what it is. If you work hard for it and you really, really want that thing, you will get it. In my opinion, that's what I reckon. So yeah. Aaron, thanks for sharing your, your truly inspirational story on the Passion and Perspective podcast. And the best part is it's only just starting and continuing to grow. Uh, thanks again and wishing you all the best. Thanks, brother. Um, that was awesome. Mate. I really appreciate your time. I actually learned a little bit about myself. That's what I mean. Every experience you learn a little bit about yourself. Um, I really enjoyed that. So thanks so much for having me. Um, again, I'm very appreciative that you had me on. Um, it's been a great opportunity. And yeah, looking forward to catching up with you hopefully very soon. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. The Passion and Perspective podcast is made in loving memory of Katie Margaret Lees, who truly lived with passion and perspective.